This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! dun, dun. dun. Hello, hello, hello. This is Lisa Traeger, and this is That's Messed Up. I did it in the wrong order, but hello. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Kara. <laughs> Wait, this is how we're going to open it? Hey, okay. Let's. Uh, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. I think it's funny. I think it was funny. You laughed. I like a real laugh. Yes. You guys know what this is. It's a Law & Order SVU podcast. We talk about an episode on the show. We talk about the true crime it's based on. We interview a fabulous guest that was involved in the episode and we chat and catch up. Yeah. Hello. Last week was our one year anniversary. Thank you guys so much for all of your beautiful comments and words about wishing us a happy anniversary. And a lot of you are our day one listeners, but even if you're not, we love you all. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever bought expensive champagne before. Oh yeah. Lisa bought some champagne last night. We went live to celebrate the one year and but I also brought McDonald's fun. and uh, Kara's husband, Jared, did say that it's something he really respects about me that I yeah, that I like, like your McDonald's game is <laughs> he one said, of your top person. He said lack traits. of shame of McDonald's. He's like your support of McDonald's, like yeah, yeah, not yeah. ironic support of McDonald's <laughs> is one of my favorite parts about you so yeah like our child owns many happy meals toys because lisa gives them to her yeah you can buy happy meal toys just uh you don't need to have the whole meal but obviously it's also like um 
if you want something delicious and greasy, but you don't want to eat too much, a Happy Meal is the perfect kind of vibe. But you could just buy the toys. So if you know someone, you know, loves the thing, they're cheap and easy. It's fun. I got to say, like, if I was going to go back to meat, McDonald's cheeseburgers might be my first thing. That might actually cause my intestines to explode, like, just after 14 years to shock them with that. But... I loved McDonald's cheeseburgers so much. Really? No, because I was telling you, I was craving like my high school cafeteria cheeseburger. Like that's and what so I that's really wanted. What McDonald's was fulfilling. It's like for the you. most consistently not real or something. Like I just want that like cheese melted on, like the fake cheese melts. I don't know. Or like cheeseburgers at the pool, you know, like the pool yeah. concession. I didn't eat that much food in my high school cafeteria, but the bagels were some of the best bagels I've ever had in my life. Same. Like fluffy delicious hot bagels that they would make in the high school cafeteria. I would, you know, we would just rip pieces of it off and like dip it into a little um, thing of Philadelphia cream cheese and swear I have not eaten a bagel in that manner in a really long time or, and I, and I feel like very few bagels have ever matched up and I'm talking about living in New York, have matched up to my high school cafeteria bagels. I'm with you. And I wonder if it was like a company that was outsourcing to all these high schools. Like the fact that you yeah. in Connecticut, <laughs> me and Skokie years apart, both remember our high school bagels very yes. fondly. Yeah. And also some New Canaan listeners. So a lot of people have tried to figure out where my hometown is. I'm not being secretive. It's New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, <laughs> and if you went to New Canaan High School, please let me know if because you're probably younger than me, if they're still rocking those delicious bagels, because some of you have contacted me that you're from my town. And it's also where Christopher Maloney lived for one year. And I feel like people thought that I was hiding that from the <laughs> podcast. But I he lived in a massive, massive mansion right down the street from my parents with one wife and one child. It's the biggest house, one of the biggest houses I've ever seen. And then he left after like a year. He's got to do lunges. You know what I mean? He needs yeah, a long hallway. Yeah, he needs a lot of space for lunges. I just want to also give a shout out to my high school. They had great cookies. I would get like the M&M cookies and they were so gooey. Ooh. I mean, should we... Can you just go to the high school cafeteria? <laughs> like, can I come do a visit and be like, hey, I used to come here. I just want to like... Scoop oh my <laughs> god! Like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be near my hometown for Christmas break. Like, could I just go in and be like, one bagel, please? And We're like, verified on Twitter. Maybe we could call the principal and be like, listen, <laughs> <laughs> we would love to. And while do a I'm visit. here, why are you not doing an outstanding alumni profile on me? Like, let's do it. Come on. <laughs> I know. All I work hard for is for my dad to compliment me and my high school theater teacher to acknowledge me and. <laughs> What's your high school theater teacher's name? Should we shout them to see if somebody can get, get in touch with them? Timothy Ortman, one of the best. I mean, he Timothy won teacher Ortman. of the year while I was there, but we like that his program won the Kennedy Center honors for best. Like he brought a production of Hamlet to the fringe with a lot of my, oh my peers. God. Like he really, there was uh, gay kissing in plays. We did a Kabuki Iago's plot. We did Equus, a boy in underwear on a horse. I mean, we really went yeah. there. I cannot believe that. Yeah. And we did, uh, you know, stagecraft. We had a costume shop. Like, I really, um, I felt very lucky to have Mr. Ortman in my life. But can he just please send me an email? Yeah. <laughs> like, my school did, like, got uh, into the woods. But I don't think I ever even, I wasn't in it. We did, like, six or seven shows a year. Yeah, that's wild. It's nuts. Yeah. Wow. Because our sports weren't good. But our theater department was winning the awards. 
see, our sports were good, so I don't think any theater wasn't as hot. Um, but we did have a turf lacrosse field, very important. Turf, um, <laughs> turf lacrosse. Yeah, we had a. Oh, that was college. Did we have glass blowing? No, that was college. Okay. <laughs> In high school? Jesus. But I did take sports marketing in high school, which seems wow. not that common. seems like a very advanced class. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No. Yeah. I don't know uh, why I was in it, but happy to be there. <laughs> happy to be in sports marketing. Why did I major in sports um, in music management for one semester? I'm tone deaf. Oh, my. Yeah, but still, you, what, you were you going to manage a musical artist? Were you going to be like... Yeah. <laughs> I went to Columbia College for Cardi one B, semester. you gotta sign with me, Lisa Traeger. I've got all the connects. You're gonna go platinum, baby. <laughs> That's what I thought it was gonna do for one semester. I like how I'm doing an invitation of you in high school or in college with a cigar in your mouth as a music executive. <laughs> um, uh, wait, so uh, we also are two bad Jews that barely acknowledged Hanukkah, but happy belated Hanukkah to all of our uh, chosen listeners. Um, Lisa uh, forced me to get a menorah, which was the best thing she could have done. I felt stupid that I didn't have one. And I was like, my kids are too young. Maybe next year when she understands a little bit more, I'll explain the, you know, the plight of the Maccabees. But like, we just lit the menorah a couple nights and I gave her a present and she loved it. And she keeps being like, my Hanukkah present. And she went to school and she's like, there are nine candles in the menorah. Like she's very enthralled with the holidays. So I'm happy we did it. Wait, you said that Rosie got into the car and said, I'm disappointed. Or what did she say? Yesterday in the car, we, I, we were leaving a fr one of her friend's houses and she said, can I go back to the, her house? I was like, no, it's 6.30 at night. We need to go home. And she goes, that's so disappointing. <laughs> she's going to be a nightmare. I mean, like she's just already like so emotional and like has so many words to say what she wants. Yeah, but it's good she has words. It, it's better than a yeah. crying child with emotions that they can't yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. No, she's very, very communicative. Oh, and did I tell you on this podcast yet that she had a good parent-teacher conference too? Not on the pod, just personally. Okay. Let the listeners know, because we were worried. I was really happy, because <laughs> listen, I don't know how many parents there are, but I did get a pre-parent-teacher conference call, which I don't think you want to get. Like, I got like a one that was like, just don't want anyone to be surprised at parent-teacher conferences. Wanted to give you some feedback about Rosie. And I was like, okay. And they were, you know, they were just telling me like, chatty listening problems obviously a lot of good positives about her but like she has a problem listening likes to play with her friends instead of doing her jobs it's Montessori they do jobs and I was like lady you're literally describing me from birth to now so I don't know what to tell you like of course she's gonna have listening problems she's two and a half so then at the parent-teacher conference raves raves it was great it was like they got it out the month earlier and then they they were raving about her at the at the regular. Oh my god. Well, I have Hanukkah but we watched Abbott Elementary last week. Um yeah. a friend Janelle James is in it. Um and it so today Janelle posted like a bad review and it was someone on Twitter going how dare you make principals look bad? To prince, you're saying that principals steal money. This is disgusting. ABC needs to do better. And it's like, it's just one principal. She's just playing it's a, a shitty comedy. principal. <laughs> like, he took it personal. He's like, shame on you for like treating principals this poorly. I mean, nobody wants to watch a documentary about the day-to-day -day of an elementary school, sir. I'm sorry. It's, no. a it's a comedy show about an elementary school. And I think the idea of an elementary school principal being like vapid and super self-absorbed is very funny. Like she's a very funny character. 
Yeah, it's um, it's I because I watched the movie The Assistant on a plane, and it is a slow stain paint. I don't know the saying. But wait, like, wait, wait. With Julia Garner from Ozark? Yeah, we've talked about it on the pod before. I know you want to watch it. It's on Delta flights. Maybe when I you... started watching it on my Delta flight and then the sound cut out and then the whole movie paused. And I was like, what? What? Delta has been fucking me with the multimedia over and over again every flight. Um, no, and I feel bad we got our friend hooked on Delta and now her parents have to take two flights in from Chicago because <laughs> she's too far in with the points. And I'm like... Oh, well, yeah, she went from zero to hero. I mean, she had like no status and now she's like quadruple platinum or whatever they call it. No, one of my good um, aspects of my personality is I am pretty like happy and chill for people, but I was livid when she told me she got diamond. I go, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Surpassed me in less than a year. I've been trying to get these miles forever. But anyways, I had a great Hanukkah. There were two dogs at the party, one named Potato, one named Mabel. Can you ask for anything more? Let's oh my God, Mabel <laughs> Mabel is the dog of our friend Naomi Ekparrigan, uh, podcast host, actor, writer, extraordinary, comedian extraordinaire, and that dog is really freaking cute. And Potato is a 14 and a half year old chihuahua. Um, and so he he's on CBD. He's, you know, elderly, um, but it is... Well, also, listeners, I want to thank um, the wife of Josh's friend. I mentioned Taco Bell, and I am getting sent Taco Bell money. So all of you listeners are incredible. <laughs> I think it's like if you have any connection to Taco Bell and you talk to Lisa Traeger about Taco Bell for two minutes, <laughs> there's a passion there that you can't ignore. <laughs> and so who else are you giving Taco Bell money to, to be honest? like. But and that the gossip where one woman heard it and was like, wait, I know this person. And like, you know, that's <laughs> we all have to remember just one little act of kindness will help us because I'll take Kara to talk about because we got to try the refried beans. Oh, yes. We talked about this ad nauseum on our live last night, but I do have a lot of you have sent me amazing suggestions for my vegetarian, like a, a cheesy gordita crunch with with refried beans, all different kinds of things you can do that are meatless, and I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do a stoned feast when you're yeah. uh, back. But I wanted to say, I am at my friend's house. I was the last person, and everyone left. I had nowhere to be, so I stayed for a while. But they seemed to be okay with it. <laughs> but um, I was given ice cream, but it was just one little circle scoop. And it's like I learned about portion control at 34 years old. <laughs> like, I would never just do one scoop of ice cream in a little cute little glass cup with a, sp- but it was so delicious. It was a gingerbread flavor of ice cream and it was just enough. And I was like, I need to remember this. You know what I like for that? Actually, if you're ever at Trader Joe's, those little hold the cones. Yeah. Those are the best. It's like that's all the ice cream you need. You think you want more? But just that little cone. I've never just done one little bit of ice cream. And I'm like, oh, but this is delicious. Like, I don't. I've never done like less than half a pint, you know? Like, I'm doing two big scoops. Yeah, it was like a cool Hanukkah miracle. That one tiny (laughs) scoop lasted eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I watched Organized Crime while I ate it. And, but I've been, I've been on a tear. I've probably went through like nine seasons in the past week. I just. I've been fully SVU 24-7. I fall asleep to it. I wake up. It's a few episodes ahead, and I'm just on it. But it, So I've been watching Young Maloney nonstop, and then it was jarring to see an old Maloney. Yeah. But, but how did he get so beefy so much later in life? Like, why wasn't he this beefy the whole time? I think that, like, maybe the whole time that he, since he left SVU, he's just been beefing? I don't really know. 
Yeah. He was not as large as he is now. Like, first of all, the pilot was on this morning on USA, and I was watching the pilot, season one, episode one. Young boy. Um, Just a uh, young, young boy. Benson is, like, barfing from a case in this episode. She's, like, on the side, and then literally Stabler says to her, there's no crying in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Has he cried? Anyways, also, um, I posted about this, but Hannah Dickinson is a comedian, great person in New York, and she did Ryan Sickler's podcast, The Honeydew. And the point of the podcast, it's like the honeydew is the worst part of a fruit bowl. So people come on and kind of talk about the worst parts of their life. And she talks about being assaulted by a fake Uber driver and being kidnapped, woke up in his home. And it's like a really fucked up story. Uh, but the like still makes jokes. I don't know. It's just I think um, if you are ready and wanting to listen to that, that is something maybe I could recommend. Yeah, we'll repost it today in our stories so you can find it. Yeah. Um, you obviously have to be in a mood for it and people are being nice, but she did post that the YouTube comments, people are already like, this isn't real fake story that you're lying. And it's like, I don't get that. I don't get how you do that from home. Like, why would she lie? What are you talking about? No, I mean, people are so fucking annoying. Like, also, you know that tweet I did about Rosie saying life is down the drain or whatever. It kind of went viral. A bunch of people wrote, this didn't happen. Are you kidding? I didn't invent this fucking story about my toddler saying something crazy. Like, people love to say fake stories. I know, but that's the thing online. People, like, say their kids say things. and They don't know Rosie is highly verbal because... <laughs> I think parents do lie. And then there's hack jokes. Have you not seen the fake ones where it's like, and then my child said, and it's clearly something that kid wouldn't make. It's like kind of an online uh -huh. joke right oh, now. Oh, okay. I thought it was just people always think that they know when the story is fake and is real on the internet. Sorry to compare. No. My it's obviously not the same situation. <laughs> Her situation is the patriarchy being like, this didn't happen. Speaking of, let's start. Let's start. You know, we could we could babble all day. We, <laughs> we got to start. Gotta Speaking start. of, okay, let's start. Wow, Lisa, that's the most restraint. Oh, I also have a fun life hack. Okay. If you need to clean and there's a pile of clothes and you don't want to clean right now, you could put it in the suitcase. Mm -hmm. Because I had um, Kara and our friend Lovely gave me the woman that cleans their home to help me keep my, you know, small apartment <laughs> clean because it ruins my life and I'm fill I'm a clutter bug. But I just had a pile of clothes and I just didn't want to do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could put them in a suitcase. I don't have to clean shit. And it felt really good. So if that helps anybody. <laughs> or just fold your damn clothes. <laughs> but it was late. Like, I'll do it now. But I just I just was like, right. I can't. Like yesterday, I came home last night and I had to put sheets on my bed. That's not fun. Oh, God, I hate that. We talked about that. I was dreading that for you last and night. And everyone is sad for you. Like, as I was leaving the comedy store, I was like, I got to put sheets on the bed. And the reaction of people is... Everyone's like, Godspeed. You yeah, know, it sucks. Everyone knew. <laughs> All right, let's start. Let's, let's start. start. We've been going on forever. Um, we've got a good one for you guys today. Pathological. All right. Season 19, episode 10. So it's newer. So not as many watches for me. So it is kind of exciting to watch the newer ones sometimes. Yeah, Sames. Um, you know, I haven't watched this 800 times, but I will, you know, talk to me in a year. This is a really good one. Um, and when it was assigned, I didn't even remember it. So it's nice to have a surprise. And we open with Olivia sleeping. So we know something bad is around the corner. We do not let her relax. She's having nightmares about Brooke Shields' grandma, you know, Sheila. 
Um, this, so this is right after Sheila tried to steal Noah from Benson and they fight and there's, I mean, fuck. So she's having flashbacks and a lot of nightmares from the abuse from this like Brooke Shield grandma. It's so funny because her and Brooke Shields are like good friends in real life and I see them on Instagram together all the time and it's like weird. Sheila Benson, real life friendship. Well, it's also weird that she was like, that's shady, Mariska. I'm sorry. This is the first bad thing we'll say about Mariska, but she's like, hey, best friend, come play my grandma. (laughs) A grandma. (laughs) Shade. Oh, yeah, a grandma. (laughs) Um... And this is also a perfect episode to piss off Kara since she hates Noah and thinks everything's his fault. Honestly, he's still, okay, he's a little bit cute here still, but it's also, he's like, where's Grandma Sheila? And it's like, she tried to fucking kill your mom. And kidnap you. Yeah. (laughs) But she's not telling him. So Noah wants, like, to sleep in her bed. And Benson's like, can I just get a break? And then she's like, fine, fine. One more night. Uh, but you got to put your foot down. You don't want to be sleeping. And you know, there's a comedian, I won't name his name, in New York, that he slept with his parents until he was 12 years old. He refused to not sleep with them. And then no. guess what? He has a younger sister, 12 years younger than him. Oh, my God. So they just like never fucked, I think, this for 12 years. And then no. finally fucked and had another child. Oh, my God. I can't um, wait to find out who this is off my Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they go, oh, and uh, Noah has a really cool robot painting in his room. So I really like that Olivia is sprucing up the bedroom. It's cute. You always recognize the decor. I like never <laughs> see that stuff. Listen, I'm a, I, yeah, I like you it. You've got an eye for design. <laughs> no, mostly for spending money on framed pieces of work. Um <laughs> So we're gone from Olivia's apartment and now we cut to a school and it seems like a progressive learning style place because it's just one giant table and students sitting around it in a circle. So it's not a traditional looking um, classroom. So Stabler might not know about the details of this college. It is not Catholic. (laughs) It's not a college either. It's a high It's a school. Okay. So we see this blonde girl, Marielle. And then this is when I was like, oh, I know this episode. So I was like, wait, what is this? What is this? See her face. I know exactly where we are. Um, So Marielle's blonde. She has a headband. She's wearing horizontal stripes. And then the boy next to her has a thing for her. Clearly, he's hot for Marielle. And he's also wearing uh, horizontal stripes. So I see wardrobe department. All right. So they break out into smaller work groups and the crush boy and blonde girl, they're working together and they have like a fun little vibe. And we find out that she's on a new medication and that makes her sleepy, but she thinks she'll be fine, but she is struggling today. And there's like a really hip young teacher with a cute little bob and bangs and she's so positive and she just really seems like an amazing teacher. And she's going to go get something for a student. And when she goes to grab something for a student in this closet, the striped boy with the shirt, the is on top of the blonde girl and they are it looks like fucking but the blonde girl looks sad so it could not be consensual we don't really know she looks sad there is sex they are in a closet so then we get Rollins and Carisi onto the scene of the crime and they're talking to the principal um and or she just looks like a principal she could be a dean of students okay we didn't get her official title We find out Mary Al is 15. She has MD, which is muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, and some learning issues. And the boy is Cody Hill, 19, and he has autism. And uh uh-oh, that's a criminal age gap. So what are we going to do, 1915? And this actually happened when I was working at Fat Camp because we had a group of older women, like up to 25, and then there's all these boys and everyone's fucking. And it was like we had to make sure the older and younger people weren't fucking. 
Wow. So that's criminal just a fun age thing. gap. Criminal yep. age gap. That's real. <laughs> okay, is that merch or is that weird? Okay. <laughs> Um, so, you know, should we find out they're fine? There they were found in the supply closet and no one really knows what's going on, but this school has mandatory reporting. So they talked to the hip, young, cool teacher, Vanessa Banks. And she's like, I don't know how they slipped away. Um, they were both very upset and the parents are on the way, uh, but they don't really want legal stuff for the school and they want to keep this hush hush. And she talks about how these children do have impaired social interactions and they're very sheltered and immature. So they might have not even known what they were doing or like what was happening. Yeah, because this is a special education classroom. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe it was like a school designed for like a whole special needs school. Oh, it could be. It could be a full special needs school. I don't yeah. know. Or yeah. Or a classroom. But for sure the classroom that we've seen is. Yeah. Yeah. So Rollin goes to talk to our girl, Marielle, and she's like, oh no, am I in trouble? And then this mom runs in, crazed lunatic. Okay. This mom's like, oh no, you called the police. What happened? What happened? And so she tells her mom in front of Rollins that Cody raped her. Credits. The mom looks to me in a weird way like Heather from Real Housewives of New York. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she looks familiar. Yeah, she did look familiar. I MDB'd her. She's been working. She has over 100 credits. But nothing that hit my heart that I would mention. But she's working. She's making her dreams come true. And she does an incredible job in this episode. I didn't write her name down. Okay, disrespectful. (laughs) Um, but, and you know, we saw this coming before the credits, like Marielle did not look happy during the encounter. So, you know, the fact that she said there was rape did not surprise me. Um, but we're at the credits. So then we're back and then we see Cody's dad and Carisi do like a little boy hang. And the dad is like, my son did nothing wrong. And Carisi asked for a scoop and Cody said they had sex and he called Marielle a mermaid because her legs don't work and he is Prince Eric. And the dad says that Little Mermaid is his favorite movie. I like it. I just showed it to Rosie recently. I love it so much. Did she like it? Yeah, she did. We watched it twice. Ah, that makes me so happy. I do want to be there for some first time viewings with her. (laughs) Maybe I can do a bug's life. Maybe that'll be me. Oh, yeah. Um, the dad is like, listen, these are kids that are being kids. Like they don't know what sex is. And then, um, Cody's like, the hell I don't. (laughs) He goes, that's what (laughs) he's like. You put your penis inside the girl and it means you're in love. And so everyone's like, okay. And Carisi (laughs) does look hot. He has a nice expensive looking like camel colored pika, like trench. He does look sexual in this. I like it. He's like, listen, I don't know what to say. Um, And he tries to leave for a break and his brain is kind of broken. He's just kind of confused how to handle this because this is like (laughs) so many layers of what is happening. It's like a grown man whose favorite movie is Little Mermaid thinking she's a mer. There's just like a lot of stuff happening. Um, So the dad is like, this isn't a crime. What the fuck? Like what, you know, oh, did her mother make a complaint? overprotective is an understatement and Carisi goes it's not really about the mom this girl's 15 it's up to us and so the dad's a little shocked and bewildered and he's kind of worried for his kid obviously so we're back to the girls room and she's telling Amanda that he helped her out of her chair and she can walk but it is hard for her and the mom is in the back playing with her hands and she's just so stressed out and Marielle continues and says she took her sweater off and I was distracted. Amanda's hair looks perfect. (laughs) 
And so basically he took her pants off and Amanda is like, you said rape. Did he do something you didn't want to? And she's like, no, we're in love and we're getting married. And Rollins is like, wait, what do you think rape is? And she says, when a man puts a penis in your vagina. So again, another layer of mixed energy. She just yeah. doesn't know what's happening. And the mom is, she looks so concerned. She has a lot of heavy makeup for like a daytime look. Um, like <laughs> what errands are you doing? Did you have a crush on the nail girl? Like what's going on? <laughs> So she said she heard an aide talking about it once and that's how she learned about it. And she's like, I liked it. And we were like real grownups. So it is consensual, but it can't even be consensual because she is 15. The mom yeah. is telling Amanda, listen, I got to get her home. She has anxiety issues and, uh, and it's like, she looks chill as fuck. Like she doesn't <laughs> look stressed at all. You seem stressed and you're projecting onto your child. So she's like, you know, there's muscle weakness and atrophy. And in the back of my head is, Cody's father's statements, you know, of her being like over, you know, too overprotective and a little stressed out. So Rollins is like, no, we got to take her to the hospital for a rape kit. And the mom tries to take her to her own pediatrician. And Rollins is like, we need to take her to someone who has experience doing rape kits. Go shut up. So we cut to our boys, Carisi and Finn gossiping about the case. Um, on the other side of the mirror is Cody and daddy Cody. So they discuss calling <laughs> Olivia, but they decide to leave Olivia alone. She, you know, let Olivia chill. So we get that Olivia is on leave after the Brooke Shields incident and that it was really like traumatizing for her. So the plan becomes take his statement. Let's see rape kit results. And then Barba can let us know if there's a crime or not. Great plan. Great plan, guys. So now we go to Mercy Hospital on December 21st. So we are a few days away from Christmas and I saw no decorations. That's always something that cannot get by you. SCU, no. You guys have got to be decorating for the holidays. <laughs> Lisa is going to notice. <laughs> December 21st is too close. Yeah, that's extremely close. They would have been on winter break. They wouldn't have even been in school, to be yeah. honest. So the pediatrician comes, um, who the mom wants, and talks to the mom. And Amanda is looking at them like really suspicious, like a hawk, and soaking up all this strange behavior. And the mom is flipping out. And then they decide to give her a sedative. But she looks chill. Like, she doesn't look stressed. But they give her ketamine. They give her a ketamine drip. And they have to do it in her left arm, or, like, in her right arm, because her left arm has some other problems. So Amanda's really not happy seeing this. And the mom is just flipping out and crying. And is like, this is so hard. This is hard. I'm sad. You know? And Amanda's like, what's the problem? And the mom, again, mentions muscular dystrophy at age four, then wheelchair, and then epilepsy and blood cancer twice. Terrible. She then gives the line about God not giving you more than you can handle, blah, blah. Clearly did not love that line. Cuts to Benson and Noah, and they're playing cards. Again, Kara, how do you feel about this? <sighs> I want Noah to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she's interrupted by a vibrating phone, and it is Amanda. And Noah was like, I said no work, mommy. And it's like, bitch, she's saving lives, okay? You could play goldfish in a second. So Amanda's calling, but Amanda's actually right outside of Benson's apartment door wanting to chat. And it's like, how'd you get in the building? I know there's a door guy. What buzzer? How, why are you calling if you could just knock on the door? I, this doesn't make sense. When she said, I'll meet you right now, I truly thought when she opened the door, it was going to be Lucy. And she was going to be like, peace, Noah, never finishing this game. <laughs> like, I really thought it was going to be Lucy and she was about to bounce. And um, I'm, like, loving Benson's updo. Like, she just looks so perfect. I'm, like, really <laughs> feeling a lot of positive vibes for this episode. So, and I'm really curious to hear about the, uh, the real case because I feel like it's a famous one, but I don't know much about it. 
So Amanda gets Melinda Warner to do a talk screen. So we find out that she asked Melinda on the sly, like, can you just check what's going on here? So now Ice and Rollins are with Melinda Warner and Melinda's like, you were right, bitch. You were right. She had half a pharmacy inside of her and some of these medications don't make sense and some of the pills don't work well together and actually causes more issues and like no actual real professional would ever do this types of mixing and matching with supplements and pills. So Melinda is like, this is a giant medical malpractice suit or child abuse, but something is going on. So Carisi and Amanda go to visit the mom who is showing them a video of her daughter, like being able to go to Disneyland. It looks like a make a wish type style situation. They let her know that they are not going to press any charges on Cody. And mom says, you know, that's probably for the best. Uh, but then Marielle wheels into the room like, hey, can I go to school? I want to go to school. And the mom's like, you're not going to school. You're resting one more day. You're sick. No school for you. Go to your room. So the mom explains to Rollins like, oh, she's just having a reaction to the ketamine. And it's like, yeah, a horse yeah. tranquilizer. <laughs> she's 15. What do you? Yeah. A ketamine drip? I mean... Oh, why would it be Xanax or something? It's so weird. But yeah, go on. so weird. I'm sure we're going to get a million nurses being like, ketamine's normal, but like, it just sounds really extreme. Rollins is like, we have more to talk about. Like, you know, Marielle's medic. I hate that name. Marielle? It doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> Rollins comes back from Melinda Warner to talk to the mom and she goes, hey, like, why are you giving all these medications? Like, they don't mix. They're actually causing more problems. Like, can you explain to me why you're mixing and matching? And she goes, well, yeah, I do my own research online. I try to find hippy-dippy and alternative medicines. You know, I'm trying to do anything to, I can to help. You know, her dad left when she was six. He couldn't handle the illnesses. And so sometimes I try these natural supplements and I'm so sorry and we'll go to a doctor and fix it. You know, she's acting like, I'm just a mom trying my best and I'll do anything my bad. So the detectives head to Marielle's doctor to get more scoop, the pediatrician who we met earlier. She says that she's been seeing Marielle for two years and she doesn't like she doesn't know what's going on, but she doesn't think anything bad is happening. She's like, I, you know, I have all the information. She tells me everything. And they're like, well, what if she lied? Why don't you have all these other histories? What was happening in her medical history before the two years? And the doctor makes a good point I didn't think about. She goes, when a parent comes in and tells you their child's medical history, you just believe them. Um, but they're probing the doctor for more information. It's like, come on, you know. You know, she can't tell you. It's HIPAA, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> um, so, she, you know, she's not spilling the HIPAA secrets. I'm so. hearing that in Britney Spears' voice. Like, it's HIPAA, bitch. <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> the doctor thanks them for bringing this to her attention, and she's going to make some calls and figure some stuff out. So I think the doctor's good, because a part of me was like, what if the doctor's in cahoots with the mom, and they're both kind of psychopaths? So I'm glad that like the, the doc's like, I'm going to look into all this. So they know they can't get info from the mom, so they decide, like, maybe we can find the father. And Carisi's like, should we ask for permission? And F Rollins goes, no, you fucking dork. Do you want to try to fuck me? Why don't you act cool? <laughs> so they go to meet the dad and he's like, I'm not a bad father. Okay. It, and then it's like, but you did ditch your sick kid. But he's like, I send money every month and it's actually the mom who doesn't let me see her. I want to see her, but she says it's too much for Marielle. And then we talk about the leukemia at six. So all of a sudden we hear about leukemia or is that the blood cancer? Is leukemia blood cancer? Oh yeah. It's white blood yeah. cells. Wow. Okay. Um, I learned that from the Charlie Brown. Did you ever watch this in school? What? Every year we had to watch a Charlie Brown where his girlfriend gets leukemia. No. And then she loses her hair. And then at the end he pushes her in her swing and she takes her hat off and her hair's grown back. 
No. That's yeah, we cute. watch this Charlie Brown cancer thing every year at Devonshire. What's up, Dolphins? Okay. <laughs> and they're like, did you save any old records? Like, hey, you know, as the dad. And he has some. So that's really good. So we're going to find some of the older doctors and start putting this medical history together. So we're grateful that they found this father. So Ice, who's in charge of SVU while Benson's away, is like, hey, so what is this diagnosis? Like, what's going on? And this is an episode where this is Amanda's case. Like, Amanda is very passionate about this. And so she says, um, Munchausen's by proxy. And Finn, it's like the Mulaney joke in my head where he's like, Munchausen's by proxy. What's that? It's season 19. It's season 19, Finn. <laughs> this isn't even the first episode where there's been Munchausen's by proxy. Right. You know. There's actually been Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy on this show. Well, because Munchausen's <laughs> one of my favorite when uh, the guy pushes her in the wheelchair into yes. the pool. Rebecca like, DeMornay, baby. Oh, I love that episode so much. I don't think it's based on a crime. I want to do it so bad, but I don't think it's based on anything. Yeah, maybe we'll do it on a we'll force it. Maybe we'll force it to be based on something. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda explains uh, what Munchausen's by proxy is. And if um, some of you are like ice teeth slash fin and they don't, you don't know what it is, it's basically when a parent makes up issues in their kids for attention. And Amanda is positive she is looking at this. And so then we get all the scoop from all the records. And there's been like dozens of doctors through six different states, 50 medications and surgeries and so many diagnoses. So this is an issue. And Ice is like, well, isn't this a little bit on the doctors? And Amanda goes, not really. If you move all the time and then like you fill in the gaps and the records are lost and the doctors believe the mom with, you know, you believe Yeah. So Amanda's like, this mom is medicating and making her daughter sick. And I'm going to get to the fucking bottom of it. And Ice is like, I don't know. Let's call Olivia. (laughs) No, um, Ice doesn't want to do work. So he's like, call Olivia, call Barbara, call child services. I'm going to my desk. I'm chilling. (laughs) We cut to Marielle in an interrogation room with blinds and windows. Some more of like... um, you know, the meeting room, not the scary interrogation room. And she's like, when can me and my mom go home? And Rollins is like, shh. So then in the other room, the more like uh, scary cement type room, we have the mom and Carisi inside and outside is Finn, Olivia and Barba. And they're having a little gossip session. And then Olivia walks into the interrogation room with a ton of files in her hands to talk to the mom. And the mom likes that she's lieutenant. She goes, finally, somebody in charge. Like, I need to see my daughter. I'm sure she's so scared. Oh, my God. And Olivia is so calm, so sexy, so determined and starts going through the papers. And she's like, listen, um, this one doctor did 20 tests between May and October and they were all negative. So what is, you know, what's up? She goes, if you have a sick kid, you keep on pushing. You don't tell, you don't let one doctor tell you it's okay. Like you have to find And it is a good point, you know, B.D. Wong hosted that show, Something is Killing Me, and it is about something being wrong with people and no doctors being able to see it. So I understand that mentality of, like, fuck this doctor. But 20 tests, you know, because I used to do this. I would go to my uh, gynecologist over and over. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I kept saying I have problems, and she slowly was trying to be like, your problems are in your head, and you need to leave (laughs) me alone. (laughs) She's like, I can't, you can't, you can't come, you can't come back here. Um, so Benson is a little bit like, okay, like, I think she realizes I have to go, like, this is, I need to speed this up. Like, this woman's not going to get it. And I just really have to confront her. So she goes, I'm going to be honest with you, lady. You are not looking for doctors to help cure your daughter. You are looking for doctors to agree with you. And she responds, no, I'm a good mother. 
And then she says that she grew up in an awful abusive home and she is here to give her daughter love. And they're like, that's not love. Um, but now we see motives. She was abused and so now she wants to like dote on this daughter so much. So Carisi is like, listen, we know you love your daughter. We are not denying that. And she says, all I want for my child is to be well and ha healthy and happy and it's all I've ever wanted for her. And she starts screaming for her daughter and runs out of the room and says, I'm taking her home. And then Mary Al just like wheels in and is like, mommy, mommy. And Carisi is holding the mama back and she's like screaming. And um, then uh, Marielle gets up and, you know, she does have a hard time walking, but she starts walking slowly to her mom. And then fuck, she has a seizure. Yeah, so scary. So now it's like, shit, shit, shit. Um, um, you know, this minor is having a seizure. What's going to happen? Who started the seizure? Like, we can't deny that there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so then Benson is taking a little nap at the hospital. We're at the hospital. You can, you know, they call the bus. Okay. So... <laughs> Benson's like napping in the hospital waiting room, having nightmares about Grandma Sheila again. <laughs> and Melinda, get, get her some ketamine. So then Melinda wakes her up and asks what's up and lets Olivia know that baby girl Marielle is recovering. And basically she had so many supplements inside of her and that that's what caused the seizure. And she does not have MD or a seizure disorder. Wild. So then it's like, did the mom purposely research what would give her seizures? Or was she just giving her all these meds, you know? So the dad's going to drive up um, at, from Pennsylvania and Marielle's recovering and we will see what happens next. And what's next is we're at Bellevue with the mom and she is like, if I wanted to harm her, I could have. I could have fucked with her feeding tubes and made her overdose. And the doctor, the therapist is like, well, did you ever think about that? Because that's like you're telling on yourself. Yeah. Like as someone who would not do that, I would never, that would not, I wouldn't be like, I could fuck with her feeding tube if I wanted. <laughs> I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you saying? Um, so she reveals that her stepfather would hurt her. Um, and the therapist does seem famous to me. Like I know her. Yeah, her name is Carolyn McCormick. She was in 66 episodes of Law & Order Original Recipe. She's been in six episodes of this one and a, a, a sprinkling in seasons one and two. Then she did one in season 14 and now she's in two episodes this season of, of season 19. Wow. And she's done a criminal intent, a trial by jury. Like, she's all over the franchise. But Law & Order, you guys all know her from Law & Order Original Recipe. Damn. And she's always Dr. Olivet or no? Yeah, she's always Dr. Elizabeth Olivet. Um, and so Barbara and Carisi are like chatting. <laughs> he just said Barbara. <laughs> well, okay. So they're chatting um, and they're listening to what's happening with the therapist. And they're like, fuck, she could get off on a psych defense. And Barbara is like, who cares? Like, I don't care about that. We just have to make sure she never gets custody of her daughter again. Like jail or no jail. Our goal is to get this daughter away from this fucking mother. Right. And the mom um, starts saying that like when she would get abused by her stepdad, she would pretend that she was hurt way worse than she was so then she could stay home from school with her mom and get attention. So the ther you know, the therapist is very good giving BD a run for his money. And she's like, Oh, so you learn, you know, like you learn to manipulate authority for self-preservation. Good for you. But why did you give your kid meds that gave her a seizure? And she's like, I wanted someone to see that she was sick and to treat her. And the doctor, all of that comes out and tells, um, Barba and Carisi, like she has every diagnostic sign for Munchausen's by proxy. Um, and she knows, what she is doing is wrong and she doesn't know why she's doing it but she can't stop doing it but she is competent enough for trial so we will see you in court 
We cut to them letting Marielle know what's been happening, and she obviously is not happy with the news. She's like, I haven't been sick this whole time. And they're like, no, you're actually fine, and you're going to be healthy, and you're going to walk, and you're going to do everything. It might take a little bit, but you'll be good. And I know it's hard to believe your mom made you sick and gave you meds to make you sick, but that's what happened. And she asks why. And it's like, yeah, that's a great question. We don't know what to tell you. Um, no, yeah. Rollins says there's something wrong with her brain and she didn't know how to take care of you. And Marielle's like, but she loves me. And we're like, we know, we know. She's just fucked in her head, okay? But that would be horrific. I can't imagine finding that out. So then a very super cute moment to learn. Barba is at Liv's house and there's like a stuffed animal... Um, elephant and he's surrounded by blocks like it's in jail and Barbara's like yeah I never trusted that elephant what did he do and I just I liked it (laughs) (laughs) so um they're chatting like do we do jail or mental health facility like what's gonna happen and then they talk about Sheila Porter again for a little bit and Noah Benson cries it's it's too much tears up tears up not cries um and then her phone rings not good news and it's Finn and Dawn, this is awful. I hate this scene. So Dawn just showed up at Mercy Hospital and is trying to rip an IV outside out of Marielle's arm. And she's crying. And the dad is like, fuck you, bitch. And she yells, I love you. And she's screaming. And the Marielle goes, you love making me sick. And um, she, you took my life away from me. And you almost killed me. And she's like, they're lying. They're lying. I'm the only one who knows how to take care of you. Role of a lifetime. You know, screaming and crying, being taken away by tons of people it's so good and Marielle's like I just want to be normal sweet girl um but you never will okay so Rollins is like super moved by the case uh and Dawn made bail and she's out again and she has and she got out because there's like supporters on her GoFundMe that are bailing her out and I don't know if they're other Munchausen's by proxy people or they're people that have just been you know following Marielle's sickness I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. But why would you, you would want to keep the mom in, not help her get out. Rollins said what she did is unforgivable, but she is sick and it's weird to punish her. And Carisi's like, why don't you just go home and be with your daughter? Okay. Um, so that's nice. Oh, and then he gives her a little speech and I don't love it, but he's like, okay, you're a cop and you're a single mom. Just admit your life is hard sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, Rollin gets a call from Marielle and, um, basically goes, stay where you are. We're on our way. Done, done. Dawn is dead. The mom is dead. The mom is in a pool of blood from her neck on the floor. Marielle is just sitting at the table. Chill as hell. Marielle goes, she's dead and I killed her. And that's that. What if that was the end? Okay. <laughs> And she said it felt so good and energetic and I feel alive and I saw colors in my whole life and I thought I was stupid, but my own mother did this to me and Barbara's like, wait, what the fuck happened? And she's kind of like now becoming a sassy teenager. Like they're like, you know, the the meds are disappearing and she's feeling, uh, she's just like a bitchy teen and I love to see it. And she was just like, oh, what happened after my mom came to the hospital and tried to kill me? And that is what (laughs) happened. I mean, what would you do if your mom broke a protective order and started pulling tubes out of your arms? I mean, it's fucking twisted. And basically it's like she was, she was scared because it's like the mom could always come back. She was always in danger. She's always going to feel scared. Like she's never going to leave me alone. And so she grabbed a hammer and beat the shit out of her mom. Like she doesn't understand that her mom is also sick, but she doesn't have to. I mean, she's a teen who's been abused for her whole life. So it's like, 
we're asking a lot out of her. And maybe they should have had more protective services for her or something. So Mariel says, like, you know, she she had to go talk to her and confront her and be like, you need to leave me alone and live my life. But obviously the mom's not going to take it great and kept trying to hug her. And she's like, I don't want to hug you. And then the mom went to go get pills to, like, chill her out. And she's like, I don't need pills. I need you to leave me alone. And the mom's like, you're my daughter forever. You will always need me to take care of you. So she hit her with the hammer. Um, and it's like, were you just trying to hurt her? Or did you, like, because she was coming at you? Or did you set this whole thing up so it looked like self defense did you go to murder her like what was actually the motive here yeah and she's like don't you get it she would never have left me alone or let me live I was finally in control and it felt good and then the dad realizes what's up and is like you've said enough shut your mouth um but like nicely um and then he goes like my daughter's been brutalized for years let her go and Barba says I can't do that so the dad finally realizes like I'm gonna call a lawyer and Barba goes I think that's correct so now we're at court melinda's on the stand and she said the cause of death is blunt force trauma from the back of the head which is not good for self-defense and then our girl from intimidation game yes malza makar in the building yeah so she's the defense attorney and it was really awesome to see her but yeah, so she so she hit her mom three times and there and the way they know that was from blood splatter. Hello, Dexter. And so <laughs> every time the hammer was hit, the blood pushback would go on the wall, and there's three of those. Um and Melinda has straight hair here, if you were wondering. So then the defense, our girl Mausum, she brings up these highlighted articles. So basically Marielle was on Google that day trying to like figure out what has happened to her. And what she read about Munchausen by proxy is that there's no cure and the sentence could be as little as a year. And the mom already violated an order of protection and was trying to rip an IV out of her. So I understand if Marielle lost faith in the system and knew that she had to protect herself and to save her own life from this batshit woman who was going to continue to try to poison and kill her. And Mausen, like, kind of starts tearing up during this. Like, she's a very good lawyer and actress, but she, you know, is doing a really good job. And it's one of my favorite judges and a sexy, sexy updo. Love her with, like, light red hair. Um, Barbara, Carisi, and Rollins do a walk and talk that looks fun as hell through the hallways. I would love to be able to shoot a walk and talk scene in that marble court hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going over the details in the case. Um, And, you know, Barbara is a good guy, and he's like, fuck. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm trying to put this teenager away. Like, I I don't, what's going on? And so then they get more evidence and we find out that she watched The Little Mermaid seven times in three days. And that's Cody's favorite movie. So Marielle is now on the stand and talking about how she just wanted to be normal and her life sucked. And now she's getting healthier and stronger and has hope. And she's wearing a black sexy lace top that Alex Cabot would have definitely called her a slut and put a coat on her. She said she um, intended to just tell her to leave me alone and stay away from me. Um, But she just realized that would never happen. And the jury, of course, feels sorry for her and like doesn't want to put her in jail, obviously. Right. Um, But she just felt that she had nothing to do and she had to be free. And so she swung the hammer. Now, you know, Barbara has a plan with this fucking Little Mermaid stuff. And I'm like, leave her alone. (laughs) Um, But he brings up what you do in the two hours. She said they want, you know, Little Mermaid. So Little Mermaid has entered the chat. <laughs> and basically, Barbara gets out of her that she liked Cody and wanted him, but her mother wouldn't let her get any. So the mom took her out of school because of Cody, and that's why the uh, the cops came, and that's how it all started. 
The mom said that she would, uh, that Marielle would never see Cody again and never walk. And so Barbara is like, wait, so she stole your childhood. She's stealing your future. And so like, what's going on? And she says like, Ariel in the movies is mad at her father, but he let her get married. And my mom is Ursula. She is bad. And she was never going to let me live. And she starts yelling. I hate her. I hate her. I wanted her dead. And I'm not sorry. Everyone is looking shocked. I hope the jury lets her go, though, because I think the defense did great. And I would I I would have been a holdout in this case. I would have been like, I'm not guilty, yeah. I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. I don't care. I want to be on a jury. I don't think you would have been chosen, but yes. <laughs> wow, that was so rude of you. Um, in this case, I think it would have been very hard for you to hide your disdain. I don't think we could ever actually be on a jury again because we research all this shit so much. Yeah, like, yeah. They don't want us on. We'd have to lie. Right. Well, yeah, but it's also fucked. Like, if you've been sexually assaulted, you can't sit on a jury of a rape case. And it's just, like, so... Yeah. 80% of women? I don't know. Like, whatever. Right. (laughs) So we cut to Benson after that wild um, admission in the courtroom. And uh, Benson is pouring suspender-clad Barba a stiff drink at the apartment. And she's like, listen, you're doing your job. And he's like, "Um, okay, yeah, (laughs) by sending a horrifically abused teenager to jail. And she's like, can you drop the charges? And he starts babbling about integrity of the law. And he's like, the law says she's guilty. You know, the law says she's guilty, but the heart says she's not. So what are you going to do? And he just doesn't fucking know. So now January 8th, we're headed back to court. And Barbara's in an elevator talking really loudly on the phone about how she could get life in prison. And the woman in the elevator is like, wait, she could get life? And then it's like, "Uh uh-oh. So basically, there were jurors in the elevator. And did he do this on purpose? And he did. I think he did. did. His face looks really shocked when he realizes that they're in the elevator with him. I don't I didn't get the vibe that he did it on purpose. I did. I think he did it on purpose. We'll put a poll up. We'll put a poll up. Okay. So he goes, fuck, you guys are the jurors. What are we going to do? So then the jurors and the judge, they all go talk to each other. And she's like, I don't, how did this happen? So now we're like in the courtroom having a little thing with Judge Barba and these jurors. There's three jurors that heard him. And the three jurors are talking that she can get life. And so the judge has to declare a mistrial. She was left with no choice. And then Barba is like, hey, can we actually move this to family court? And she says, if this was your plan and I find out about this, I will get your fucking ass. You Casey. Novak acting motherfucker. <laughs> and I guess um, we find out the judge read him like the riot act um, to like in chambers t- in chambers. <laughs> um, so Benson and Barbara talk and she's like, listen, I have absolute faith in your humanity. And I really like that saying or how yeah. she said it. I don't know. So family court gave Mariella a three year sentence that was suspended to probation and community service and mental health evaluations. So justice was served. Benson says, and I do believe that. And he says, I hope so. Um, but I believe justice was served. I do not think she deserved to go to jail for murder. Um, if she wanted to meet that, if she wanted to kill her mom, I'm okay with it. And so we meet her outside with Carisi and Rollins and the dad's loading up the truck and they got him, you know, the dad got them an apartment and she's like, I have to do lots of therapy, but this is amazing. And Cody's going to volunteer with me and he's going to like start helping people with me. And Rollins is like, get it, get your whole life girl. Um, and then she goes, do you think it's wrong that I miss my mother? And Rollins says, no, I don't take care of yourself. So then Carisi 
Lucy asks to go to for coffee with Rollins and she's like, nah, I'm going to go hang out with my baby. So she's like feeding Jesse, playing fun basketball games with the spoon. And her child has really long hair for how tiny the child is. Like, how did how did this two year old have hair down her back? That's Sometimes like, you see kids like that, though. It's kind of wild. I mean, look at like our friend's daughter, Frances. She has very long hair. But also this um, Jesse is played by twins. I've seen them on Instagram. Oh, cute. Yeah. Aww. And so Rollins has a lot of feelings. So she calls her mom. Her mom's being a bitch, but she gets past that moment in the beginning of the call. Great facial acting by Amanda. And that's the end of the episode. And I'd like to just say, call your mom and be happy you're not abused by her. And if you are, I'm sorry. All right. You're in for a real treat with this crime. I'm surprised you don't know a lot about it. Stay tuned. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, let's get into this case. So this is the case of the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard and the crime she perpetrated against her uh, daughter, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, for years. Um, and I can't. I won't say who, but I will say that when I worked at Drag Race... One of the queens wanted to do Gypsy Rose for Snatch Game, and the show wouldn't let him do it. And I was really That would have been incredible. It, it would have been incredible. Okay, so this is a very, very famous case. It has been made into a Hulu series called The Act. It was a HBO documentary called Mommy Dead and Dearest. Um, I saw the doc HBO documentary on an airplane, like, when it first came out in 2017. Like, this has just been very, very, like reported on very widely. So I, I rewatched the doc and I did some other research for this, but um, let me take you through what happened. So um, Dee Dee Blanchard was a 24-year-old woman who got pregnant by a 17-year-old named Rod Blanchard. They were barely a couple. In the documentary, he's talking about how, you know, when you get a girl pregnant in the South, you're taught to marry them. They had really nothing in common and, you know, th their marriage did not last very long. They were separated and shortly after their separation on July 27th, 1991, Gypsy Rose was born. So Rod said that Dee Dee liked the name Gypsy and he was a Guns N' Roses fan, but neither of them knew about Gypsy Rose Lee, who was a 
1920s vaudeville star that the musical, the Broadway musical Gypsy is based on. And she was a stripper who uh, also had a controlling stage mother who lied about her daughter's age to make her seem younger and forced her to perform even when she didn't want to. So kind of crazy that they named her that when you get into the rest of the story. So when Gypsy was only three months old, her mother began suspecting she had illnesses and Over the course of her lifetime, the illnesses ranged from sleep apnea to an unspecified chromosomal disorder, leukemia, asthma, epilepsy, muscular dystrophy, and what is written on a list of of illnesses as mild mental retardation. I know... I know we're not supposed to say that, but I'm telling you that on the list of illnesses that were it was in this documentary, that's what's listed. So they thought that she had, you know, developmental delays. Um, she was in a wheelchair for 14 years from uh, around like age 10 to age 24. And according to medical records, a lot of like what you uh, told us about the episode, Dee Dee brought Gypsy to local hospitals over 100 times between 2005 and 2014. Now, Dee Dee... To get into her background a little bit, not just to touch on it briefly, it's not the same situation as Dawn in the episode. She, from what we know about her, which there could be stuff we don't know, of course, but from what we know about her, she was not abused and that she was kind of considered by the rest of her family to be a master manipulator. Like she always was manipulative. Uh, I'll get into it uh, a little bit as well. Like there was a there was a belief in her family that she poisoned her stepmom with her stepmom's food with Roundup weed killer, which developed into a chronic illness. And as soon as the period ended that she was living with her stepmother, the stepmother miraculously got better. And then there's also a rumor that her mother, her biological mother, was a full manipulator scammer, and that she learned a lot of who she became from her mother, and that she actually, it's alleged that she let her mother starve to death. So. A lot of fucked up stuff in in Dee Dee's life, but nothing to suggest that she was um, physically abused the way that the character in the show was. And so Dee Dee had worked briefly as a nurse's aide and had a talent for remembering like medical jargon. So she would just kind of walk her, like she would just sort of breeze her way through these interactions with doctors and would just put up a wall of information and be like, well, it's this and this and this and this and this. And since everybody... Just everybody just took that information for fact. You know, they're like, she knew so much. You could throw anything at her. She had an answer for every question. And in fact, when you're looking at a lot of her medical history, a lot of times it says on mother's information or upon history from mother. Like that's where she fills in all the blanks basically so that no one ever really questions like what you were saying. Yeah, you do kind of believe a mom when they give a history. So um, she homeschooled Gypsy because her illnesses were so severe, which is another way of getting around the checks and balances of school. You know, just have them at home. And uh, when Dee Dee's family confronted her about her treatment of Gypsy and like what's going on with all these illnesses and stuff, she actually just bounced. And so, okay, so they were living in Slidell, Louisiana, surviving off of child support payments from Rod and government-assisted housing um, that they got because of Gypsy's uh, condition. And she bounced around to all different doctors and hospitals seeking treatment for all of the issues that I mentioned before. Also hearing and vision problems, frequent seizures, like all these things. And Gypsy actually had several surgeries and Dee Dee also took her to the ER quite a bit. So they're living in the New Orleans, uh, the greater New Orleans area. And in August of 2005, after Hurricane Katrina hits that area, Dee Dee claims that Gypsy's birth certificate and all her medical records are destroyed in the flooding and they relocate to Missouri. And in 2007, 
I what know. a perfect fucking. Yeah, perfect. Like, oh, and, and that, so I'll, I'll get to it, but in 2007, Habitat for Humanity builds them a house with wheelchair accessible ramp. It's like a pink house. It's in Springfield, Missouri. So they move there to be in this I've house. I've been there. You know, Kenny, my friend, our, my, our friend Kenny, my friend, I don't know. Uh, Kenny is from there. I've been I to would Springfield. I'm friends with Kenny. Yeah. yeah I've been <laughs> to Springfield, Missouri like five times. Well, Basically, the community of Springfield like welcomes them with open arms. Everyone knows the story of this single mom with a severely disabled daughter forced to flee Katrina's devastation. And it's getting all this media attention. And the community is like pitching in to help them all the time. So there's GoFundMes. There's all this stuff. They often stay in Ronald McDonald's houses for their medical appointments. She gets them all these free flights to go see doctors at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. They get free trips to Disney. Backstage passes to see Miranda Lambert concerts who apparently she's been frequently photographed with via the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So like Dee Dee is basically a full-on scammer. She's setting up all these GoFundMes and everything. Um, well, I also wonder if the kid loved Miranda Lambert or the mom or they all did. Like that's such a interesting fixation. It is. And Miranda Lambert's been in an episode of SVU. So that's true. That's true. One of the only, I feel like, celebrities to like not play themselves in a episode of SVU. She plays like an actress trying to audition. So Rod Blanchard, the dad, he's very featured in the documentary and he is making monthly child support payments of $1,200 and he's sending gypsy gifts. But Dee Dee tells other people that he's this abusive drug addict and an alcoholic who never came to term with his daughter's health issues, much like what happens in the episode where like none of that's true. And she tells people he never sends them any money. And he's like, I'm sending quite a bit. And then Rod occasionally talks to Gypsy on the phone. And he talks in the documentary about like one time he calls her on her 18th birthday. And Dee Dee's like, um, don't mention that she's 18 because she thinks she's 14. Because Dee Dee was like psychologically aging her down and convincing her that she was younger because like you get more sympathy, I think, and stuff from people thinking you have like a sick 13-year-old, 14-year-old than like you know, getting into woman, womanly age, like 18, 19, 20. So he always tried to visit with Gypsy and his new wife. She's featured heavily in the documentary as well, Gypsy's stepmom. But Dee Dee always made all these excuses for why it couldn't happen. So now people really, really love Gypsy. Like if you watch this documentary, Gypsy's like got this big, like she's a super high squeaky voice. She's five feet tall. She has like her, a bunch of her teeth are like missing and um, she has like uh, these huge glasses and she just looks like she does almost like performances for all these home videos for her mom. Like she's like, I'm about to taste my mashed potatoes at Disney World. Like she's so excited for like all the things that people give her and the little gifts and trips she gets to go on. And it's like she's just trying to like soldier through the if, if she was really sick you would obviously be like, oh my God, what an inspiration. This little girl's like so positive, you know? And um, she often wore wigs and hats to cover up the fact that she was bald. And she was obviously not bald because of leukemia. She was bald because her mother regularly shaved her head to keep up the appearances that she was undergoing chemotherapy. And she told Gypsy like, oh, well, your medication and your like is going to make your hair fall out anyway. So let's just like, let's just like make it look cute and like just, you know, shave your head and you know, cut to the, not do, deal with like the full falling out process, you know? And so whenever they left the house, Dee Dee often took an oxygen tank with them and Gypsy had a feeding tube. Like she had a full feeding tube, a permanent feeding tube in her midsection, which is like how you get all your nutrients and your food 
even though this girl was perfectly capable of eating. And she was fed the children's liquid nutrition supplement Pediasure into her 20s. Um, so not only is Dee Dee Blanchard making her daughter sick for money and attention and, and, you know, prizes basically. But she also used to physically abuse her daughter to control her. Like she was always holding her hand when they were with around other people. And if Gypsy ever started like speaking out of school or like saying anything like that could reveal anything, she would squeeze her hand really hard. And that meant shut your mouth. That meant zip it up. And she would hit her and hit her with coat hangers later when they were alone. Like if she fucked up in public, she would punish her later in, in private. And um, she also told Gypsy never to speak during her doctor's appointments and that she would like handle everything. So Gypsy could never be like, actually, that doesn't hurt. Or I'm actually, I can walk anything like that. So, um, Dee Dee had Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox. And then at some point, they were extracted altogether. And this was to control her drooling, which Gypsy actually said that her mother induced by putting a topical anesthetic like on her gums to numb her before doctor's visits. So then she would drool uncontrollably and then had her salivary glands removed. And then her lack of salivary glands coupled with a anti-seizure medication having a bad side effect basically caused all of her teeth to decay to the point that um, the majority of her front teeth were extracted and replaced by a bridge. This is beyond so fucked right how do you even know how do you even know to make someone drool for their salivary glands to come out it's like i'm sure she researched this shit on the internet like what are things we can do you know i don't know i don't know and being a nurse's aide she had some general medical knowledge but like it's it's so upsetting but uh gypsy also had tubes in her ears um, to control her purported ear infections. I mean, my little brother had tubes in his ears too, but I think the point is she probably didn't have ear infections and had to get tubes put in. Also, who knew you need saliva to keep your teeth? I didn't. Yeah. I think it was that, yeah, that comboed with this anti-seizure medication like kind of rotted her teeth out. I don't know. So this doctor, Bernardo Flasterstein, who was um, featured in the documentary, was a pediatric neurologist in Springfield who was suspicious of the muscular dystrophy diagnosis. He ordered all these MRIs and blood tests, found no abnormalities, and he basically said to Didi, I don't really see why she doesn't walk. And like he's like, I can see her stand and support her own weight. Like She should be able to walk. And then he put in his notes, in bold, underlined letters... Mother is not a good historian. So he could tell that the mom was kind of like creating a bunch of shit. And so he uh, called New Orleans and learned that Gypsy's original muscle biopsy that she had had done had come back negative. And so Dee Dee's self-reported muscular dystrophy diagnosis was bullshit. And so was the claim that the records had been destroyed in a flood, by the way, since he was able to call and get the records. So he suspected the possibility of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yeah, it's widely believed that Dee Dee had Munchausen by proxy, which you've already explained. Munchausen. What do you mean wildly believed? She, of course, had it. Yes, yes. Well, they're saying because she's, well, I'll get to it. I'll tell you why. But, you know, Munchausen syndrome is when a person fakes their own shit 
And then Munchausen by proxy is when they fake it onto someone who they are a caregiver for. Obviously, usually a child, but I think it can also be older, old, old people. Um, so Munchausen, if you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, was a huge thing where people thought Yolanda had Munchausen and was making up a lot of her illnesses. So anyway, there's a guy in the documentary named Mark Feldman who is an expert in Munchausen. And he says this is one of the worst cases of it he's ever come across. And... Uh, what happened was the reason that this didn't get flagged more was that Dee Dee had figured out how to uh, request medical records. And so she could see the doctor's notes. So when she got the doctor's notes that said, not a good historian, Munchausen by proxy, she's out of there. Like whenever she sees like a doctor is catching on, she moves to a different doctor. Um, and this is her MO. And this Dr. Flasserstein never followed up with social services because they were like miniature celebrities in Springfield. Like everyone supported them. He was told to handle them with quote unquote golden gloves. Like, and so he thought no one will believe me, which is kind of, I wish he had done more. Uh, but you know, what are you going to do? And then he, he just thought, I don't have enough evidence. Like this is just kind of my hunch. And so in 2009, an anonymous caller who Flazerstein says it was not him told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for her and Gypsy and suggested that Gypsy was in better health than what Dee Dee was claiming. And this resulted in two caseworkers going to visit their home, but Dee Dee convinced them that there was nothing wrong and that she had changed all the names and all the info to hide from her abusive ex so he wouldn't find them. And they bought it, you know? And uh, they also thought Gypsy did legit seem like she was mentally impaired. So Dee Dee also doctored birth certificates to make everybody think that Gypsy was still a teen, including Gypsy. Uh, and at age 10, uh, Gypsy started going, getting really into sci-fi and fantasy and like going to these conventions and stuff. So then fast forward to 2011, she's 20. She sneaks away from her mom at one of these conventions um, to meet up with a guy that I think she'd met on the internet. And she's found with this guy in a hotel room. Dee Dee basically says to this guy, oh, she's 15, you're going to be arrested, even though she's really 20. And so he's done nothing wrong, but shows her this fake birth certificate, convinced the guy he's committed a crime. After that, after she got busted with that little escape attempt, Dee Dee smashes Gypsy's computer with a hammer. I don't know if that's where the SVU episode got of the course, hammer from. Of course, of course. But Gypsy, uh, Dee Dee smashes Gypsy's computer with a hammer and kept her leashed and handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. And she told um, Gypsy, this is what's so, so fucked up. She told Gypsy that she'd filed police paperwork claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent so that if Gypsy ever attempted to escape and go to the police, no one would believe her. So it's essentially like, like almost like a conservatorship. Around 2012, Gypsy somehow continues to use the internet, even though her computer's been smashed. I think maybe she earns privileges and gets the internet back. She goes on the internet after her mom goes to bed. Uh, and she makes contact on a Christian dating site with a guy named Nicholas Godijohn. And uh, he is around her age, and he's from Big Bend, Wisconsin. And yeah, they meet in like a Christian singles group. And Godijohn had a criminal record for indecent exposure. And he did have a history of mental illness. Um, he was, uh, some, I guess it was sometimes reported as having dissociative identity disorder, but he also was a person with Asperger's syndrome. And in two, 2014, so at this time, Gypsy's probably around 23, but, you know, thinks she's younger. She arranges and pays for Godijohn to come and meet her mom in Springfield. Um, they had never met in person. 
somehow Gypsy and Go to John meet in person for the first time and go have sex in a bathroom um, because I guess Dee Dee's not around. And then the two of them continue their internet relationship and eventually begin hatching a plan to kill Dee Dee. So at this point, Gypsy knows there's fake illnesses or just the other abuse and being held captive that is kind yes, of... Yes, I think she's starting to get older. She's kind of like, I want to have some freedom. And like every time I try to go like meet up with a guy, my mom smashes my computer and handcuffs me to a bed. You know what I mean? Like I think things are getting out like more punitive because she's getting older and probably harder to control. So, and talking to guys online, she tells them their situation and they're probably like, that's not okay. Like, we got to get you out of this or whatever. So, in June of 2015, Go John returns to Springfield. He waits until Dee Dee goes to sleep and he's in the Blanchard house. And Gypsy allowed him in and allegedly gave him duct tape, gloves, and a knife with the understanding that he would use it to murder Dee Dee. Gypsy hid in the bathroom and apparently covered her ears so she wouldn't hear her mom screaming. And then Go to John stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in her back while she was asleep. And Dee Dee was uh, 44 years old. Well, she obviously inherited some of her mom's manipulation tactics. Very much so. I think you kind of get that idea while watching the documentary and reading about this. So, because, so what happens is like, what I read in one place was that after they kill her, they have sex in Gypsy's room and then take $4,000 in cash that Dee Dee'd been keeping in the house. What Gypsy says in the documentary is that Goda John had wanted to rape her mother and she had made it a deal with him. Like, you can rape me and just don't rape my mom. And so I, I can't tell if the sex was consensual. She says in the documentary that it's not, but I think other people can't tell if she's lying because I'll get into more of what she talks about when she is finally brought in. But like they flee to a motel outside of Springfield where they stayed for a few days planning their next move. They're seen on a lot of security cameras. There's home video footage of them like giggling in hotel rooms, like excited that they're going to get, you know what I mean? Like that they're going to, that they're on the road and traveling and this and that. So there's not really from what you can glean from the tapes there doesn't seem to be a lot of remorse from either party. So Gypsy said that at one point she believed that they had gotten away with it. They mailed the murder weapon back to go to John's home in Wisconsin to avoid being like caught with it in person. And then they took a bus to, uh, to Wisconsin to where uh, go to John lived with his family. Um, several witnesses saw them like on their way to the Greyhound station and saw that Gypsy was wearing a blonde wig and was walking without a wheelchair or any kind of cane or walker or anything. Wow. So um, what happened was at this point, no one has discovered Dee Dee's body yet. And so people are getting suspicious because there's a few weird Facebook status updates on a Facebook account that Dee Dee and Gypsy share. One of the posts said, that bitch is dead. And then the next one said, or a comment under that post said, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud, LOL. Kind of wild, obviously going to cause alarm. And Gypsy later explained that she wrote those posts because she wanted her mother's body to be discovered. Like she wanted to sort of signify that there was something awry. And so people got to the house. They discovered that Dee was murdered in the bed and Gypsy's not there and none of her oxygen is gone and like her wheelchair's there. So they're kind of like, oh no, someone's kidnapped Gypsy and she's never going to survive without all her meds and her oxygen and all the things that she needs. This is like what everybody thinks because everyone in the whole community is like, 
behind her and thinks that she's this ill. Um, they think that she's this ill 19-year-old, but she's actually 24. So they trace those status updates to Wisconsin, and that's where Gypsy and Go to John surrendered and um, were taken into custody. So when they bring her in, the, there's footage in this documentary where Gypsy's acting like she doesn't know that her mom is dead. Like they tell her and she's like, wait, what? And like crying. It's like not true, you know? Like there's messaging between them that kind of supports that she knew this was going to happen. But um, essentially after the word gets out that Dee Dee had been fully Munchausening her daughter for uh, her entire life. The sympathy really moves off of Dee Dee and onto Gypsy. And basically the prosecutor is like, I'm not seeking the death penalty, even though Missouri's a death penalty state. They're like, I'm not seeking the death penalty for either one of them. And he calls the case, uh, quote, extraordinary and unusual. And he basically offers Gypsy a plea deal of second degree murder. And in July of 2015, she accepted the plea deal and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. So she is still in prison. She is due for parole in 2024. And she was so undernourished during the year that she was in jail that she actually gained 14 pounds. Whereas most people lose weight in jail, she like gained 14 pounds and was sort of like starting to live like a normal, healthy person in prison. Um, and then go to John faced more severe charges because prosecutors sort of thought that he initiated the murder plot and both he and uh, Gypsy agreed that he was the one who actually did kill Dee Dee. So um, her plea bargain agreement did not require her to testify against him. So in January 2017, his trial was postponed when prosecutors requested a second psychiatric exam and uh, his lawyers contended he had an intelligence quotient of 82 and being on the autism spectrum that it was suggesting that he had diminished capacity. So... That's a little confusing. He initially waived his right to trial by jury, but then changed his mind. So finally, in November of 2018, he has a trial. Um, and prosecutors contended that he had deliberated about committing this crime for over a year. So this was not like a last-minute crime of passion. This was like a planned, planned, fully premeditated thing. And his lawyers pointed to his autism and said that Gypsy had formulated the crime and that the love-struck boy had just done what she asked. And he, in in the doc, he's being interrogated and they're like, would you have ever done this if Gypsy hadn't like asked you? And he's like, no, never. Like, I never would have killed this woman if Gypsy didn't tell me to, I just did it because I love her. So I don't know how much manipulation, but like one thing that somebody said in the documentary was like to live with Dee Dee your whole life, there's no way that her manipulative tactics didn't sink into you somehow, you know, like you, that's how Dee Dee became who, how she was. Her mother was a master manipulator, you know? So it's sort of like, you do feel horrible for Gypsy, but you're like, I tend to believe that she had a little bit more wherewithal about the planning then she lets on. Um, the prosecutor showed jurors text messages. Some of them were like sexually explicit that Gypsy and Go to John shared like the week before the murder, and, like pictures that involved the knife that was used for the murder. Uh, in some of the texts, he asked her for details about Dee Dee's room and sleeping habits. And um, then also he confessed. He confessed to, to, to killing her as well. So I guess even though her plea deal said that she didn't have to testify, she did testify in his <laughs> trial on the third day. Everything, the, the information is, is wild. And um, so she said that while she had suggested to go to John that he killed Dee Dee to end the abuse, she had also considered getting pregnant by him in the hope that once she was carrying his child, Dee Dee would have to like accept him as her boyfriend and, you know, 
husband or whatever. So along with the knife that she eventually gave to go to John, she stole baby clothes from Walmart during a shopping trip so that she could have both plans ready, like the pregnancy plan or the murder plan. So after four days, the case went to the jury and the jury had the option of convicting go to John on one of three murder charges, involuntary manslaughter, second degree murder or first degree murder. And after two hours of deliberation, they did find him guilty of first degree murder and armed criminal action. So in February 2019, he is sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction. And they did try to get go to John a new trial, but the judge denied it. And they said that the jury should not have been allowed to hear that Gota John had considered raping Dee Dee on the night of the murder. He also argued that the state psychologist should not have been allowed to testify while Gota John's psychologist should have been allowed to testify to establish his diminished capacity. But the judge denied the motion, but did concede that an appeals court could l- find the latter point significant and consider it a reversible error. So the judge denied the motion, but said... I could see how this could be proven later or something. Um, Dee Dee's family in Louisiana, this is wild. Like, they're on the documentary basically saying that they're not sad she's dead. Her father and her stepmother and her nephew, who all had been, like, suspicious about Gypsy's health situation, later said that they thought that Dee Dee kind of deserved what happened to her and that Gypsy had been punished as much as she should be and that they should she should be released. And um, none of them would pay for Dee Dee's funeral and even pick up her ashes. Her father and stepmother were given the ashes and they flushed them down the toilet. So no love lost over Dee Dee Blanchard's death with her family. Um, Rod Blanchard, Gypsy's father, basically is like, I think Dee Dee's problem was she started a web of lies and there was no escaping after. That's what he told um, BuzzFeed in this article. This long article in BuzzFeed written by this woman named... um, Michelle Dean, that is what the act is based on the BuzzFeed article. The Hulu show is based off the BuzzFeed article. So he told her it was like a tornado that got started. He was really happy the first time he saw a video of Gypsy walking under her own power. And he's all over the documentary, like visiting her with his stepmom. And he sort of beats himself up about not doing more, but kind of not enough. Uh, But I, you know, I think he just thought he was like, I'm a guy in my 20s. I got this girl pregnant. The mom doesn't really want me around. I'll send money. I'll do what I can. But, you know, he didn't really know to the extent, I think, of how bad the mom was psychologically and physically torturing the daughter. Um, Gypsy told 2020, uh, the television show in 2018, quote, I feel like I'm more free in prison than living with my mom because now I'm allowed to just live like a normal woman. So... The BuzzFeed article came out in 2016, and then the Hulu series came out, I believe, like last year or the year before. And in 2019, Gypsy actually said that she was upset about the act. She said she wasn't allowed to see the show in prison, obviously. They don't have Hulu in prison. But she's like, I feel it is very unfair and unprofessional that producers and co-producer Michelle Dean has used my actual name and story without my consent and the life rights to do so. So that is pretty fucked up. I wonder if she can sue. and But they also must have known that they couldn't use life rights without them being signed away. Like, Hulu's not stupid, so I don't really get what, what happened. But they are apparently, as a family, pissed at this woman who wrote the article. Gypsy's stepmother, Christy, stated that Dean had promised them the whole time, we're going to split this 50-50, whatever we make, we're cutting you guys in, you can put it aside for Gypsy when she gets out of jail. And, like, they weren't even expecting that. And then... Like, that's what she offered, but then never made good on it. And then to wrap up this story, 
Um, in 2019, it was announced that Gypsy is engaged to a guy that she's been pen palling with. Her fiance first wrote to her after watching the HBO documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest, and they are engaged. She will not, she doesn't reveal any details about him, like his name or who he is or anything, but. I um, wonder what her life's gonna be like. Well, people are very obsessed. People are very obsessed with this case. And I think that, I mean, she'll probably write a book. She'll probably be on the talk show circuit. You know, like I'm sure she's going to get some attention if she wants it and some way to make income. I don't know. But it is fucked up that she isn't getting any money from the act. Yeah, maybe it's a prison thing and she will later or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to profit from your crimes, I guess, which is the thing that happened with the Ted Bundy trial. But it's not her crime. She didn't commit the murder, so I don't know. She did com- conspiracy, maybe. I don't know. But she's. if you're interested, Mommy Dead and Dearest is on HBO Max or HBO Go or Now or whatever you have. <laughs> and it's really... Um, I was really wrapped by it when I first saw it on an airplane because gypsy is in it i think it's like 2017 footage of her so she's you know in her 20s and she's kind of really lucid just talking about everything that happened and everything her mom did to her and she's like kind of laughing a little bit about stuff and it's a little it's wild and um yeah, you do wonder what's going to happen, what her life's going to look like outside. But Yeah, and I also was thinking that with the jail thing where it's like, yeah, jail's better than having someone pump pills, medicines, hospitals, uh, IVs in you, hit you, tie yeah. you up. Like, and maybe it's the nice in-between she might need, <laughs> need to then be like... Yeah, I mean, you have some autonomy in jail. She's probably learning, yeah, like how to... yeah live, feed yourself, make your own bed, you know? Yeah, I just wish it was a more straightforward self-defense murder so no one had to be in jail. But if your own parents are flushing your ashes down the toilet, it's bad. Yeah. They don't have a lot of kind words to say about her, her dad and her stepmom. Uh, and her mom has doesn't have any words to say because she may be yeah. to death, <laughs> so who knows? And how did the town of Springfield, Missouri, I want to text our friend and uh, get some scoop on how everyone kind of handled i mean i'm sure like the rest of the country they were pretty horrified but probably even more so because they sort of propped these people up for years and uh, you know their hearts were in the right places they thought she was a sick girl you know like they probably felt extra duped but not mad at her hopefully just mad at Dee. yeah no i don't think so i don't think anybody thought that she she also never went to school because that's another thing we talk about like um, the everlasting effects of abuse like this. Like she never got to go to school. So who knows Yeah, how much she knows? <laughs> like there was something in my uh, research. I don't remember where I got it, but like something was like, yeah, she was like, I couldn't just like stand up out of my wheelchair and be like, help, this is all a hoax. Like my mom is doing this because she had already established to everyone that she had diminished mental capacity, that she was like, for lack of a better word, slow. That's the word Gypsy used. She's like, everybody thought I was slow. And Didi had told Gypsy, the cops think you're mentally incompetent, so don't even try to do something like that. So of course she never, you know, n- tried to really make a plea for understanding from anyone you know so i wonder if she's still pen pals with the guy spending life in prison that's the person but he killed her. i mean he killed her he went and stabbed her in the back so. yeah and oh my god the documentary just uh heads up for people has very very graphic photographs of the stabbing it's like very very graphic. but also with gypsy it's like do you really want to be engaged don't you want to play the field <laughs> 
I don't know, girl. The Little Mermaid doesn't really play the field. She literally meets the first fucking guy that she, <laughs> the first man she sees, like human man she sees. She's like, that's the guy I'm gonna fuck. I'm gonna give up my voice and get and my whole family and get oh that my guy. God. All right. Well, we have an incredible guest, Kara. Amazing, amazing job. And let's get this party started. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, guys, our guest today is a talented actress of the stage and screen. Uh, you've seen her in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, The Nick. Currently, she is performing in Aaron Sorkin's adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, but you guys knew her this week as Mariel McLaughlin. Guys, check out our chat with Aaron Willamy. An incredible performance. Such a good episode. We are thrilled to be talking to you. You know, it's exactly four years ago this week that we shot it. Wow. Oh, wow. Fall in New York. (laughs) That was beautiful. Are you in New York right now? I am, yes. So, because are you currently on Broadway doing To Kill a Mockingbird? I am. So exciting. Wow. Wow. It's been fun. Nice to be back, you know. Did you start the run before the pandemic and pick it back up, or is this a new production? Actually, yeah, I started it when 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 it opened um, in 2018, did it for a year, and then I had left, and then uh, Ed Harris took over with a group, and then the pandemic hit, and so now um, a handful of the original cast have come back, and we're all doing it at least for a couple months, so it's been really fun to be back there. That's so great, but let's get into your SVU how did this part like come about? Like, did you audition? Like, did you ha- did you know the show before you were on it? Tell us everything. I'd auditioned for the show several times and hadn't ever booked anything on it. And so this part came in and I think the the email said, the audition description said like, wear no makeup and look as sick as possible. And I was like... <laughs> I might be able to get this. <laughs> like, I can just walk in there like a mess. And um, then anyway, yeah, I was like, and look really young. I think they wanted someone real. It was just nice to not have to prepare at all. I didn't have to put anything on my face and then walk in. And um, wow. And so I finally got to be a part of the show, which I was so excited about. And of course, this particular character, too, it was fun to play. Yeah, you got the two big New York acting stamps of approval. You have SVU and Broadway. So that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone said you're not like an official New Yorker until you've been on SVU. So I was like, I got to get that show. And then while you were on set, what did hair and makeup do to make you look as sick as you did look? Oh, my gosh. It was um, a lot of bagging bags under my eyes. Um I look terrible. I think they would take the color out of my lips. Yeah, your lips are like totally, like that's not even just a nude lip. It's like a full, there's no color. (laughs) Right, it was pretty gross. They did a great job. (laughs) Yeah, we are always uh, complimenting hair and makeup and wardrobe on that show. We love it. Um, how was that, um, seizure scene that you did? That was like really intense. You had so many intense scenes. I mean, you have a flip out on the stand. You have your mom trying to rip an IV out of your arm and you are seizing in the precinct. It's like, what a role. It was, I don't, yes. Yeah. That the seizure scene, I think the camera was like on a crane and it was like kind of zooming in towards me. So I was so worried that I was going to like, 
seize and hit it. <laughs> you know, it was it was fun though. I I just had a blast. I think Mariska was so kind to me. That was the first day I'd met her was was during the seizure scene, and um, she was very complimentary and everything. And then maybe ten minutes after meeting me, she came came over and was like, "I thought you were like you know." a kid. I didn't like, she found, <laughs> found out my real age and then she came back and I, I was like, so, you know, does, does the compliments, is that contingent on me being a child? <laughs> like, or does it still count? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but she was just so nice. Yeah. Imagine if she was like, I was only being nice to you because you were, I thought you were a kid. Right. I thought you were a teenager. So all those things I said, take that away. <laughs> did you practice like seizing in the hotel or at your house? Like, um, or did you just come to set fresh seizure? <laughs> I watched some videos of okay. seizures, um, but I, I don't think I really practiced. I think I just sort of let it happen. But I do remember watching videos. And then I think Jono, the director, specifically either he either sent a video or he told me about the way he wanted it to look. Yeah. Well, speaking of like doing research before your role, did you know the story of Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose, like Blanchard, before you saw that, knew this episode? Or do you know the story now? Or like, I didn't know the story, I don't think, but I then they told us to watch Mommy Dead and Dearest. Did, so you watched that doc before you shot? Yes, I actually watched it before I even auditioned. They sent a link oh. to watch it before the audition. So, wow. So there's no way we were wrong about this one. <laughs> okay. They sent the link. <laughs> Yeah, they sent the link. It's a based on her. <laughs> Did you draw your character from the documentary? I mean, yes and no, because they, you know, the I, what I love is that they don't, um, well, first of all, you know, the boyfriend doesn't do the killing, which is what happens in real life. So, and then also I love that they, they gave her a different sentence. Um, Gypsy Rose is, I believe, still behind bars. Yeah. And... Um, my character just got, I think, community service. And yeah, three years probation. Yeah, so it's sort of neat that they commented on that as well. Like, yeah, that maybe that's an unfair sentence considering what she actually did. We're on her side. We're I on know her side. I am too. I feel so bad for her. And then I was watching, like, I think a Dr. Phil interview with her in it afterwards. And just, yeah, my heart breaks for her. Yeah. But, you know, like, she'll be out in a few years and she'll still be relatively young. So hopefully, you know, it's not like a full, like, hopefully she'll have a chance to, like, live like a normal person for a little while. Um, you had, a, this was one of those episodes where, like, it's really Rollins heavy. Like, Rollins takes a real interest in you. Um, how did you like working with Kelly Giddish? I love her. And I actually went to the same undergraduate program as she did. Oh, cool. So I was really excited to get to finally meet her because I've heard about her. Like when I was at school, I knew about her because she was, had moved on to such success. And um, so we, we could, you know, bond over the fact that we had the same professors and everything. Oh, that's University cool. Program, so. Yeah, it was fun. And she's just, yeah, she was really supportive during that whole, that whole process. Um, and her dog is always there, which is really nice, too. <laughs> that was my follow-up question, actually, was, did you meet the yeah. dog? So <laughs> I knew Lisa was going to ask that. <laughs> Good dog. <laughs> yeah. And then our uh, another cast member, our listeners love Barba. And you got to sort of have a little sparring thing. We have a very horny listenership for Barba. Um, and I think you sing also, and he sings. Did you guys do any, um, you know, we had another guest that told us they were sort of doing a little Les Mis singing off camera, like when the in-between takes. 
I wish I would have loved to have some time singing with him, but you know, he was amazing, especially during that scene where he's questioning her. And, and I think I started to talk, I start to talk about um, little, little mermaid and Ariel. And, and I'm I'm not a mermaid. And at one point I was like, I am, I am Ariel or something. And he goes, and your mother's a big fat octopus. <laughs> like, I completely broke. And like, and of course, so did everybody in the room. It was so, so funny. It was nice that he did that and made, made the moment a little lighter. Well, and I mentioned this scene before, but obviously the ripping the, of the IV was pretty wild. Did you guys um, practice that a lot or was it just a free for all to your arm or what was that? I think the biggest thing that we practiced was we weren't sure how to say the last couple of lines. We didn't know how to deliver those. Um, it's The lines are, all I ever wanted was to be normal, and now I never will. And I think maybe we did a couple of takes where she yells it at her mother um, as as her mom's being pulled away. And then I think the take they used was actually more internal, uh, which I really liked. That was also Jono's idea. Um because it's the next scene that she kills her mother. Um, so it's like, oh my God, I'm never going to be normal because this woman will do anything to keep me sick. And then your um, next project we saw is Gilded Age on HBO. But you want to like fill us in on that? We're excited. Sure. Um, it's Julian Fellows. It's um, so cool. If, if you know Downton Abbey, it's sort of Downton Abbey vibe, but 40 years earlier and in New York City. So it's yes. like 1882, um, old money versus new money during the Gilded Age. Uh, I'm, I'm in the downstairs of the house. Okay. I'm in, among the servants of the household. And it's it was so much fun to shoot. Where did you guys shoot that? Newport, Rhode Island. Oh, beautiful. But Newport um, has those big mansions. Yes. The Breakers. Oh, see, Taylor yes. Swift comes to mind when I think of... Yeah. Uh, Rhode Island. I've been very drunk a lot in Newport, um, <laughs> but that's really, really fun. I can't wait. I mean, I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan, so I'm really, I'm really excited. And um, yeah, and you were, were you one of, the, I, I saw that you were in A Doll's House Part 2. I think I saw it like the year after you were in it. I saw it with Laurie Metcalf and it was like one of my favorite things I ever saw. I loved it so much. And that's so cool that you were in it. That was one of my favorite experiences in the theater to this day, like it was, that was an incredible show to be a part of. It was such a cool show. And then with this To Kill a Mockingbird, did you get to work with Aaron Sorkin like directly at all or? Yeah, he was actually there. I mean, we workshopped the play for almost a year before we opened the previews. Um, so he was there during all the workshops and he would come in with rewrites. Um, we could ask questions. He yeah. really, the, the, the particular testimony that I have he worked on that scene so much uh, and it changed dramatically from like the first time I read it to what we ended up doing on stage. And it was so fun to be a part of that and to watch his process. He is just a genius, as you know. Wow. The yeah. Walk and talks. <laughs> yeah. Well, the king of walk and talks. What, um, how does it feel being back on stage these last few weeks, like post pandemic? Is it like the same as ever? Is it like a different vibe? How does it feel? It strangely feels like we never left. It, it's, wow. um, but in a good way. I mean, the audiences have been so warm and giving. I feel like they're ready to laugh. They're ready to cry. They're right there with you, probably because we haven't we haven't seen anything in almost two years. A lot of people are like, "This is my first show back. This is my yeah. first show back. 
And so there's definitely a special energy happening, but I was worried that looking out to the audience and seeing masked people would be really strange. Um, but it actually, it's okay. Everybody's giving in other ways. Like we can't see their smiles. We can't see their emotion on their face, but we can feel it and we can hear it. I guess I didn't realize because we're comedians and a lot of clubs, because there's food and drinking, will let you, will let people take their masks off. But like for theater, they're probably making everybody wear masks, right? They are. Yeah. I think they do sell some drinks so you can take it down to take a sip, but you're expected to put it right back up and they're pretty strict about it. And I think if you don't, they get you out. So it's, it's very right now. No, the theater ushers are very strict. They're really on top of their shit. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we're not losing our jobs again. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we've been waiting to reprimand people for 18 months. We are back. (laughs) We got our training. I feel like I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to tell you that the woman who does my wig every night in in To Kill Mockingbird is huge fan of yours and told me all, all about um, how she listens to your podcast all the time and she was, was really excited that I'm going to be a part of it. Oh my gosh, what's her name? Yeah, shout her out. Christine Hutchinson. Christine Hutchinson, thank you for listening. Cool. We love a good wig. That's amazing. We do love a good wig. <laughs> we do. Um, any last minute like little tidbits from SVU that you remember or like any little stories that you wanted to tell before we let you go? Well, I can just say that Every time I go home now, my mom makes a joke about hiding the hammers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Don't let me near any tools. <laughs> wow, that was great. Thank you, Erin. We love you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, go see her. I mean, she's going to be, I think, a next hot thing. And I'm excited for The Gilded Age. I'm going to watch that. You know, I was, I'm was i a Downton Abbey girl. Like, I loved Downton Abbey. So I think my... And when I showed my husband, he was like, I'm in. Like... We're we're doing Gilded Age. Wow, you're gonna you're gonna veer off your CBS thing. Oh, what you mean evil? It's it's on a break. It's on a break. <laughs> well, because I remember taking maybe was it advertising in college? I don't know, but you learn that like the different markets and CBS markets towards rich people over forty, and you are now the perfect CBS person. No, CBS though is like old people in the middle of the country. That's why they have like Mom and Big Bang and all that. No, stuff. like The Good Wife, all of those. Those are hot, those are people that have money. Those are oh, people who I spend money. That the Good Liquor, Wife and all that shit. Evil is on CBS. Bosh. These are for people who have Bosh homes, is on Amazon. Money. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's oh, I didn't realize. I was trying to buy you Bosch merchandise for Christmas. Um, <laughs> You don't have to do that. There's not good stuff. That's why I'm telling you and revealing it. I was on Etsy. I was searching for Bosch for. Uh, oh my god! I you know what I would love minutes. to do though is like the house Bosch lives in in the show Bosch is so fucking amazing. It overlooks the entire city of L. A. Because the premise is that he sold his life rights to the, a movie company or something, and that's how he can afford as a cop this fucking ridiculous glass house up on a hit, on a cliff. I would love to go to see it one day, but. We'll see if that's possible. Anyway. Yeah, maybe we can rent it or something. (laughs) For a party. Well, speaking of owning, I don't know if people know this, but like the WWE owns John Cena's name. They own him. Yeah. So like they own your character and your likeness and everything. So if you don't change it or he used his real name or whatnot, so they own it. Like they make money off of him. And he's fine with it. He's like, I wouldn't have anything without them, so I don't care. But like Daniel Bryan. So does he have to ask them every time he's in a movie or something? 
I think he's at a point where they're just happy making money for him. Like, they're yeah. fine with anything he does. But, um, yeah. But, like, because there's a guy, Daniel Bryant was his name in the WWE. And now in the new league, he's Brian Danielson. Oh. And that's actually his real name. But, like, because you can't, like, if they own you, they own you. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Okay. Well, let's own our postmortem and get into <laughs> our, our uh, a little bit of, you know. What did I learn? reviewing they're sick the world is sick people are sick everybody's sick um i guess it's just like yeah like just because someone's a mom doesn't mean they're trustworthy you know i will steal your wallet if you leave it on the table you know like i am a bad person i'm just kidding but well because what do we learn what do we every time you see a sick kid investigate the mother no i don't know it's like what do you do no, in situations no like but this? i i would hope that doctors would be like a little bit after hearing about some of these more like uh high profile munchausen's cases that doctors that would have a little bit more of like a just a hunch or like a instinct that this lady's uh, not a reliable narrator. This lady's not telling us the truth. You know, she's leaving out some large chunks, you know? Yeah, it's just disappointing. Um, don't rip uh, an IV out of your daughter's arm. That's not, that'll, that'll be <laughs> frowned upon. Um, try to live a life so your parents don't flush your ashes down the toilet. That's another. Uh, yeah. I think one. also trying to recognize the manipulative patterns of your parents and to see if you're if you've learned those is important, you know. That's a good one. You know. Um and I really I mean, I really hope I I'm excited to see what Gypsy Rose does with her life in the next 2 or 3 years when she's out. What if she does like club dates and nightclubs pay her to go to their nightclubs? She becomes like um the like Snooky like Paul A.D. Because <laughs> I would want to see her. Yeah. Maybe we'll throw a party and we'll pay for her to, you know, sit on a throne or something. Yeah. Gypsy comes and we just get to, like, watch her live her best life. I mean. I do feel bad for the guy, but he was probably a fool, too. I also don't think she should be engaged. I said this in the episode. Obviously, like, play the field, live your life, make some money, um, do a speaking tour, come clubbing with us. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, engagements are easily made and broken. We'll see if she goes through with that. Um, I do think there's a lot more people with Munchausen's than we think too, not just by proxy, but people who are like, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And it's like, Okay, but like, you know, sometimes I think it can be mental. But there's also a difference, obviously, with like hypochondriac and Munchausen's, right? Because I think it's not just thinking you're sick and complaining. I think it's making yourself sick because hypochondriacs are also talking like, oh, this might be happening. This is happening. This is happening. But they're not harming themselves. They're just annoying. I'm a hypochondriac. Right, and a hypochondriac might necessarily not care about the attention that they're getting either, where that's that's front and center for someone with Munchausen's, I think, is that they want the attention. So they're like, oh, now I have this diagnosis. Now I have this diagnosis. It's always something new and things are popping up. And Because Julia, our friend, she called me out once and she was like, okay, well, you are a hypochondriac when you're stressed out. And I was like, damn, <laughs> shots fired. Yeah, and I don't think you have Munchausen's. Either. No, I don't have Munchausen's. I don't want anything wrong with me. But I am finally making doctor's appointments with the help of Kara. Now that I'm in Cedar sinai you knew that would get me to go to the doctor. I'm making appointments left and right. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so fancy. Of all the, uh, sweet, all the celeb babies born at Cedars, what an honor to be a part of it. I know. I mean, when I was in my tiny rooms giving birth to my kids, I was I was like, Beyonce definitely had something better than this, but it was I could feel her spirit nearby, you know. Uh, I wish you watched Selling Sunset. I know. 
Well, that's what we've learned this week is I wish I watched Selling Sunset, a huge lesson. (laughs) Okay, let's get into our uh, segment, uh, What Would Sister Peg Do? This is where every week we direct you guys towards a resource, an organization where you can donate or just find out more information about um, something we've touched on in today's episode. And I just wanted to um, point you guys towards the HBO documentary, Mommy Dead and Dearest. I think it's kind of the... The act is dramatized, but the uh, this doc is like the definitive sort of story of Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard, and I think it's um, I think it's important to uh, check out. So that's at HBO.com in their documentary section, and we'll put the link in our What Would Sister Peg Do highlight on Instagram stories. If you're ever looking for any of our past organizations, that's where we have them all listed there. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. I haven't even seen it. I should watch it. I should definitely watch that doc. It's on. I think it's honestly still on Delta, possibly. Check that next I flight. I don't know if I need to do it on the flight. Uh, That's where I watched it. If Clueless it is available, I'm watching Clueless. Um, I don't know if <laughs> Mommy Dead and Dearest is going to push its way through. That's where I watched it. Um, but next week, uh, make sure you watch along or don't. We don't care. But uh, it's Presumed Guilty, season 14, episode 10. Peacock, Hulu, Library, VPN stick, so many ways to watch. As if you go to a friend's house. Um, yesterday, I made, you know, Kara DVR something because I don't have TV for me because I wanted to watch it. So don't um, always ask for help. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week for a very special holiday episode. Bye. Bye. messed up is an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at that's messed up pod and on twitter at messed up pod and follow us personally at kara clank and at glitter cheese as always please see our show notes for sources and more information thank you so much to our producer annalise nelson and to our mixing engineer ryo baum and to henry kapersky for our theme song and to Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun!